Hi, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I am Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of Comics Beat at ComicsBeat.com, and uh, today I am here with Alex DeCampi, the writer of many, many things, a force of nature, a one-woman <laughs> wrecking crew. Um, I don't know, what, what else is on your resume? Video editor... Um, Digital web comics pioneer. Uh, I don't even know how to fit it all in. Oh Lord! Um, I mean, I just make stuff. Um, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> it sounds like a lot, but um, you know, um, I just keep making things, and um, I'm lucky enough that I'm in a point in my career where uh, everyone just seems to be enabling me. I can write anything I want and get it usually get it published if it's weird <laughs> enough every well, so often i try to write something normal like like a normal sci-fi story like everybody else and my editors are like they, like there's just this like sound like there's this hint of disappointment in their voice like alex why are you trying to be like everybody else and i'm like yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> well that's interesting i mean there's certainly um there's certainly, i you know there's some writers who excel at doing their own thing and then there's some writers who um, are just kind of hobbled when they try to write somebody else's stories. And I think that's perfectly fine myself. But um, anyway, well, we're here today to talk about Twisted Romance. So uh, so what's the elevator pitch on this, Alex? It's a classic 1950s romance anthology a la Stan Lee or Jack Kirby. But with some of the coolest creators currently working in comics. So it's an incredibly old format with incredibly modern people on it. Um, um, yeah, some of the, the creators... Uh, yeah, you wrote a very informative blog post that talked about um, how it kind of came together, but some of the people who are in there are uh, Vida Ayala, Meredith McLaren, Sarah Horrocks, uh, who else am I forgetting? I mean, Katie so Skelly, um, uh, Alejandro Guitares, Trongles. And it came together in this really incredibly organic way. I was um, up in Maine uh, with my family, um, going quietly mad without the internet <laughs> and trying to write my novel, which I did. Um, but also when I get that relaxed and I don't have any distractions, I think of all sorts of crazy side projects. Um, because really, I didn't have time to do a, a, a weekly anthology book this winter. But I, I've done it somehow. Um, so I thought up, like, that was when I wrote all of the Hell's Kitchen Movie Club episodes that Dave is doing, our webcomic. Um, and uh, I thought up Twisted Romance. I've been reading a lot of fanfic as just a runaway kind of, like, like, like everything is terrible in the world right now. And I just wanted to read about like people with strong emotional arcs and happy endings. Um, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of that in mainstream comics at that point. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't somehow like reading stuff on AO3 feels less guilty than go out, going out and buying Harlequin books. Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, the writing is often better. Um, I picked up a Harlequin book the other day and was like, wow, that's Ouch. Um, well, for our readers who anyway. aren't necessarily into the internet, what's uh, AO3? Oh, it's a huge, um, it's where you can, it's a, a, a huge sort of site, uh, archive of our own, where um, fiction exists of almost 
anything. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be corporate properties. I read a really good historical um, Hannibal Scipio fanfic the other day or story, just a story about these two caught in this time loop of this endless battle. Um, it was like the day after tomorrow, but with Romans. It was really good. So uh, it's, it's, it's a... It's a f- and uh, you I- post your work on there and in chapters and like every, it's got a very, very supportive community that encourage writers. Um, a lot of writers start off there and a lot of... I know, I know a ton of comics editors and creators who either moonlight writing stuff on AO3 or read a lot of it, like just no one talks about it. Um, a lot of pro writers, pro prose writers moonlight on there or test ideas out or just go run away to do silly, you know, to do stuff that that's not like, you know, to, to do their mistress projects, you right. know, the fun project you run off to do when your big project gets too hard. Um, and so I'd kind of fallen into that world. Some of my friends wrote for it. Um, and I just, I'd, I'd been writing so many, like, these really sort of, like, very macho um, thriller action stories, which which are really, like, my stomping ground. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I do. Weird thriller action stories with very dark humor. Um, I just wanted to do something different. I mean, the, the, there are people who can just do the same kind of thing over and over and over again. I mean, Robert Kirkman sort of has his thing. Like, Ed Brubaker has his thing. Um and then there are people like me who are like, well, I've done this thing for a while. I want to go kind of refresh my palate, as it were, and go try something else. And I'd really enjoyed writing the standalone issues of No Mercy, which were issues 9 and 14, uh-huh. which told an entire story in 28 pages. And it just felt like a really good length, and it was a really nice writing challenge. And so I, I got all this idea all up in my head, and I emailed Eric Stevens in like one sentence. I hate to make everybody cry, but that's how I <laughs> image. I'm just like, yo, Eric, I want to do this. These people are involved. And he's like, nah, or, mm. um, and uh, he wrote back and said, that sounds great, but anthologies are not really like, you know, sometimes can be a difficult sell. Let's make it an event in February and let's do four issues and do it weekly. Uh-huh. This was in August, and right. the, the the casual listener won't necessarily know what publishing schedules are like, but um, that's no time at all to do a weekly book for February because uh, your solicits um, and your covers are due in mid October, and I didn't have a team, you know, right. I had nothing. I had like too much sugar and an, and an, it, like possibly inconveniently timed email, and that's it to my name. Um, so I just, I got on the DMs and Trungles and I have been talking about a different project that didn't end up working out because it had too much action in it for him to feel comfortable drawing it. Um, Alejandra and I were like Twitter friends, um, like comics fashionista types. Um, uh, Katie and I were New York friends and been wanting to do something together for a while. And of course I knew Carla. So I, I DMed all of them and pitched doing like a 28 page story and then, because I love backup stories, and I wish comics still did backup stories, especially mainstream ones. It's a great way to bring new creators on and make the book feel like value for money. Um, I wanted to do eight-page backup stories, but I didn't want to or have time to write those eight-page stories. So I reached out to people whose work I loved, but I felt that, like, I felt that what they did was like just so perfect in and of itself that there was, like. I didn't need to be involved in it in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to give them a space to do uh, their thing. And, you know, like, not that Katie and Carla and Alejandra and, and, and Trungles aren't perfect in what they do, but they are. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, they, they all write and draw their own comics extremely well, um, better than probably I, certainly better than I can. 
But I just feel like with these with the with the bagger creators, they 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 were so stylistically specific, and they had such a strong uh, personal vision that I just wanted to just give them the stage. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to Sarah, who was a natural fit because she and Katie are great friends, and I've admired Meredith McLaren and and Peggy Trouth, who who's Egypt or Nash for ages, um, and Sarah Winifred Searle was doing colors on an image book that ended up getting canned that I was actually doing the lettering for uh, by Cecil Castellucci. Um, that Cecil just kind of stopped, I think, uh, when she started doing the, uh, the, the, the young, the, the vertigo stuff. See, now she um, got, uh, d- not to interrupt you, but she, she we should come, circle back to that, because Cecil de- definitely is fine at doing licensed stuff and so on, but but anyway, continue, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's um, interesting. Um, so um, I DM'd them. There are a couple of other people I reached out to that didn't have time. Like I wanted Tamara Bonvillain to do something, and she just like to, to, as to draw it and possibly to write it as well, because uh, she's actually an amazing line artist as well as as most colorists often are. Right. Um, uh, you know, Irene Co was too busy on Cora, but Irene's going to be doing our trade cover. So because I really I like I love her work. I love her as a person. I want to have her involved. And there are, of course, like 8 billion other people that as soon as I filled up the book, I was like, oh, wow, what about Sloane Long? I love her so much. And like, what about this person? What about that person? And I just like it had to stop. So I had I had this 32 page book. And then Peggy says and we we were all like there was all these group emails where I explained like the financial structure of how back end image deals work and what we needed to sell to break even and like was all very transparent and what the printing specs were and all like the boring shit. and we all sort of started functioning as this little like collective where everybody made decisions as a as a as a group. Um, and Peggy said, "Well, if we're you know, because I was like, well, we ha- this is image. We can do whatever we want with the back cover. Do the backup artists want to do the additional work to do a back cover as well?" And most of them were like, "Hell yes." Um, and then Peggy said, "Well, why don't we do it as a flip book? So it's like <laughs> kind of having an alt cover but with a back cover." And I'm like, "That's a brilliant idea." Image, we're like, "Yeah, we can do that." And then I thought, well, what about that awkward stage where you get to the end of one story and then actually end up at the end of the other story? Why don't we put in a pro? Why don't we circle back to the fan, my, my sort of fanfic reading habits and like put a, a prose romance story in there? And I reached out to, to friends like Vita, again, another person I've wanted to work with for ages, um, uh, Jess Bradley in the UK, another good friend, um, and a couple of fanfic writers I knew from the internet whose work I really, really admired and were amazing prose writers. Uh, Naomi Salmon, she writes amazing BDSM, um, and, uh, and Megan, um, and said, would you, would you do this thing? Um, and they all said yes. Like, everyone enables me. It's just that I have this charmed life right now. It's, it's really great. Um, and everybody is lovely, and everybody's gotten their work in on time. I mean, our files aren't even due at Image until January, and I've already got issue one wrapped. Issue two is going to be wrapped Monday. Um, everybody else is well along on their stuff. And so we have, from an from a mid-August standing start, we have four 48-page issues coming out weekly in February that will be on time and will cost you three ninety nine each. And I'm pretty proud of that. I wrote, I wrote the stories in a fortnight, like the, the, the main stories, which was, I was pretty wrecked at the end of it because I was writing them very specifically to each artist's art style and interests. So it wasn't just like four Alex scripts. It was a very specific Katie Skelly script and then a very specific Alejandro Gutierrez script and a very specific Trungle script, taking into account what their drawing strengths and weaknesses were, how many panels per page they like to do. You know, Trungles is still like 
he's an amazing illustrator, but he's still like this is his maybe third or fourth sequential story. So you know, like, and then there's Carla, who I can just throw anything at. Right. Well, I was going to ask you. You know, this is this is a recurring theme of of all um, top comics writers is that, you know, writing with the artist in mind really makes a better story. I mean, how do you, I mean, you know, for instance, Katie Skelly, I mean, obviously she's tremendously, um, you know, she has a, a, a big following for her own books like um, Operation Margarine and um, now I'm like forgetting the name. Vampire. Yeah, spam, yeah, so on. I mean, she's amazing. Um, so what, I mean, what is the qualities or what are the qualities in her work that you think of, you know, what what went into putting together a story for Katie to draw? Uh, well, we went to a bar. Um, yep, there you, alcohol, uh, yeah. <laughs> and sat there and threw film references at each other, which is kind of what we do anyway, because uh, we're both giant film nerds. Um, uh and we just get on really, really well. Um, she's just a joy as a person. Um, and, you know, all of these discussions started out with me asking people, like, what do you want to draw? Um, and, you know, topic, feeling, mood. Um, and so I bounced some ideas off Katie and she bounced some back. You know, like what time period she felt like drawing. She really wanted to draw kind of late 70s disco New York. Um I suggested a story to her, like she tweaked it a little bit. Like we just went back and forth sitting around face to face going like, what about about this? What about that? And then I went and like, I literally had my pretty vampire open next to me as I was writing, looking at her storytelling and looking at how I could echo her storytelling and make it feel like it was a natural Katie script rather than, you know, one of my scripts. I mean, but on the, on the collaboration thing, I mean, I've really been blessed with this in in how open and collaborative everyone has been. I have done plenty of books where I have actually just written the entire script and then found an artist. Um, but then I've, I've had a very specific image in mind. Like the thing that I'm looking for an artist right now for is, is, is very Naoki Urasawa. So I want somebody with like the ability to do that, that, that fairly clean line work and that sort of innocence of expression and that real feeling of place um, that and 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 pacing that Naoki Urasawa does so well, um, and then you know when I del- when I eventually find someone for this particular script, they'll get it and they'll just be told to change whatever they want right. because I letter the books myself. Like we, I can work with this kind of very free jazz band feeling, and I publish enough that like I don't care. I'm not going to fight people if they change stuff. Like it's not, if it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be, it's not going to be my vision. Like it's not even my vision when I write the script Mm. by the time I get it out of my head. Like it never ends up purely what I want it to be. And so, you know, you let, you let people bring 50% to the table and it's suddenly a much more interesting book. Um, And you have to like, you're going to be challenged on what you write anyway. So you might as well like get over it. Um, And then I let her, and I I change all of the um, like, like I tweak all the dialogue anyway and add sound effects and delete things and add things based on what the art looks like so this so the sto- the words fit the art really well um, and that makes it that gives me a great feeling of flexibility mm-hmm. um, so few writers make lettering scripts these days um, once the art comes back they don't really 
consciously look at it again. I mean, I asked for a lettering script from, from someone when I was lettering a project, and all they did was put it in the DC lettering format. And I'm like, that's not what, what, that's not what you do. Like, you, you look at the art and make sure that you really still need those words there. That's the point of lettering So, script. right. So, uh, can you, uh, yeah, actually, can you describe what a lettering script is for someone who's not as as uh, cognizant of the comics creation process? Sure. I mean, as, like, assuming you're writing a full script. Like, I, I write full scripts, and then there's a big health note at the front to the artist saying, you know, here's my list of like cinematographer shorthand I use and shot sizes. And also if you want to change anything, go ahead and change it. Um, You don't have to ask, just, just make like, you know, if you have a better idea, by all means, please, please use it. Um, And then the art comes back. And what a lettering script should be is you then take the blank art pages and take your script that the artists got and you look at, the two of them and make sure that there's a, you know there's going to be enough room in that panel for those words and those words are still all necessary because the art hasn't done all the lifting for you and sometimes you might need to add words later where a panel isn't quite clear enough about a story point or you may want to add sound effects next to something to make something like picking up keys more uh, noticeable because like if you put it like the thing about sound effects is they act as magnets for the eye. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes too much so when someone just barfs a horrible shiny gradient sound effect across an otherwise nice panel. But you can put them in, I, I tend to put them in more as, as a design element so they can be passed over, but the eye still, like, in the way that we are we are hardwired, trained as in, in Predator, Prey, Neanderthal times to, to, to look for eyes in things. Like, well, the first thing we'll notice in a room is, is something that looks like an eye. Um... We are also trained as readers to look for text. So yeah. you can slow a person's progress down on a nearly wordless page and pull their eye from part to part, not only with the design of the, the artistic design of the page, but by carefully placing sound effects at key points to make people notice certain things and slow them down. Right. Now so, when... Oh, go on. I'm sorry. So, so yeah. So a lettering script is just revising your initial script to go to the letterer or indeed to letter it yourself, um, with a second pass over dialogue and sound effects to, 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 to fit them to the art that exists. Now, back in my day, which is a long time ago, when I was editing comics, I guess that's what the editor did, you know? And, and we called it ballooning. Uh, I don't even know yes. if any... I'm showing my age. I don't know if anyone even does that anymore, but... I don't think they do. Yeah. I, really, I, I, I look at... I mean, I think the, the, a lot of the problem with some of the larger comics companies is the editors are so overwhelmed they're not editing they're just traffic copying right which is why we see so many um fires at a lot of these companies because editors are just there's like the volume of books coming out i mean i'd love to see some analysis of the 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 the, the actual number of different titles <laughs> on stands from these companies well, i mean that, like, diamond releases that every month actually if you look at the sales charts that they release they actually say how many comics everybody publishes so so that that information is is readily available but you know marvel puts out like a hundred over a hundred and dc is like pretty close behind so so it's quite a few you know i i have to ask you though since you're very very and you do the lettering on your books yourself and you're obviously just from listening to this conversation so into the production and the you know the in, integral art, artistic decisions that go into making comics 
Um, you know, back when I, in my archaic days of physical pages, that's another thing, we use physical pages, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, it, it was amazing to me that so few artists actually left room for the balloons. And a once in a while, one would, and those immediately became my idols because their work flowed so much better when they took the balloons into account. I mean, is I'm, this... I'm spoiled by working by working with Carla because she pencils in balloons and also will improve your dialogue by penciling in like draft revision. Like she'll 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 like the pencils for No Mercy have the dialogue ballooned in. She doesn't do it in the inks, obviously, but she puts them in to leave space. And it is the most brilliant right. thing. I remember lettering. It was a project for Dynamite, and the artist was quite good, but he had like no consideration of leaving room for the balloons. Um, I mean, I think. Everybody, artists and writers, should letter their own books at least once because it will make them so much more honest in the process. I mean, right, I, I did yeah, all this. Totally. I did all this because I had to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't afford to hire people on my indie books to do the lettering or to do the design. I mean, I'd love to work with like Tom Mueller or some of the really talented designers on books. I can't pay them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do it. Right. Because it's well, either that or not get the book out. So. And I come from like a very DIY zine culture anyway. So like just, you know, everyone pitches in, they make the thing happen. Nobody has an ego about it. We just shut up and get it done as the, as best we can. And then we let go of it and make something else. Right. Well, I, you know, I just want to back up one second to, to reiterate something you just said, which is let's just get this right out right now. Is that Carla Speed McNeil is a goddess. Are we agreed yes, on that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Everyone go by Finder. Like, yeah. Before you go by No Mercy. Go by Finder, and she's got a Patreon um, where she releases uh, the work, her work in progress, um, and you should all give her money for that. And she is just a really, really wonderful human being and technically fantastic at comics. And uh-huh. she is really also very inspiring in terms of if you've ever heard her talk to young artists about how to how to improve their work. Like, she should really be just teaching a class well, she somewhere. should be doing a podcast i've actually she's been a guest briefly on this podcast several times but just in like quick sound bites you've never had a big long sit down with carla and i'm always saying to her carla you just need to do a podcast and where you just sit and you talk about things you know like medieval lore and you know how to make shoes and all, all this stuff yeah. but but uh anyway yeah i i listen i i i've often thought to myself that any any writer should be so jealous of you for having gotten to do a wonderful book with her no mercy and um you know she is she is I've, lord i've gotten to work with the most amazing i mean i've worked with jerry ordway who's an, <laughs> like another fabulous human she being is, and another person who can draw anything like just anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And very few people can do that, you know. Um, God, um, Gary Erskine. Um, you know, I just like. Um, who I've is it? This, who's it? I know that the, the, I'm doing Dread right now with Henry Flint, who's, yeah. who's another like superb artist. You know, I I just feel like I've you know, every time I get really bummed out about comics, which is fairly frequently because our industry's a trash fire. Let's face it. Um, and think, oh, I'm just going to start doing prose and, and give up on comics. Then I just think, well, but there's this other person I want to work with, and there's this person, and they're really great. And like someday I want Oddcock to do a cover for me, and like I I can't stop because I haven't had a chance to collaborate with this human. And right. you know, like 95 percent of the people in comics are amazing. Yeah, but just I, the other five percent are really loud. Yeah, I still. I, I'm sure we could have a long conversation about this. Maybe we should go to the bar and do it. But, you know, I still contend that 
that five percent, the ninety-five percent of people in comics who are the most awesome, giving, creative um, people that I've ever known, I, I still feel like they make up for the five percent who are total sh- um, uh, rotten people. But yep. the rotten people, you know, I don't, I don't know. They have they're just loud. They're, you know, they, but, they I, are. They are. I've, I've muted most of them, so like I, they don't exist. Mm-hmm. I, right. I I love my bubble. My bubble is warm <laughs> and cozy. Well, that's it. You know, I think that's one thing that everybody has about comics is that it can become a little safe haven in a lot of ways because there are people who are really giving and friendly and and. Uh, I always say that the highest levels of people in comics are so much more approachable and so much more, um, they're so much more open to newcomers most of the time, most of the time. And that makes up for a lot of the other crap. But as we've seen. And ultimately, like, you just, like, it's a, the crap is a distraction. Yes. You know. And it's very easy to get distracted and get wrapped up in all of that bullshit and all of the politics and to keep caring about the fact that, like, you know, Marvel and DC have done something embarrassing mm-hmm. um, again um, and ultimately like you just have to go and do your work and keep your head down and make sure that your own work is as good as it possibly can and like everything else will take care of itself right. you know I think I've proven that you can have a career a really successful you know well reviewed career completely outside those companies but for the odd foray into them, like the Wonder Woman I did with, with Kirsty because she's fabulous. And, right, right. You know. Yeah, no, uh-huh. you've had a, a dabble here and there. But, I mean, well, I want to – okay, uh, I have two more questions and for you. Uh, but two more things I want to ask you about. So one is um, what what is the relevance right now of romance comics to the world? I mean, in the olden days, of course, they were – you know, pretty formulaic and reinforced the gender stereotypes of the time. And, um, and you know, depending on who published them and who wrote them, certainly there were some kind of forward-looking romance comics of the day as well. But, you know, how, what, what is their relevance to the world right now? I think providing hope um, is, is, is very important. And, um, I mean, we all, like, there's a lot of edgelord writers writing down endings about how grim everything is and like i i'm done with that like i'm just like i'd rather write stories of hope um and happiness um between people and about human connection in our very disconnected like angry world um i just wanted to take a break and make something fun and nice and you know not all the stories are are hopeful i mean katie's one involves a shit ton of murder um (laughs) My fan base is shocked, shocked. The gambling goes on in this establishment. Um, or murder goes on in this establishment. Uh, Trungle's story is a, a, a very big metaphor about abusive relationships um, with a happy ending. Um, you know, I mean, all the stories have happy endings, though not necessarily expected endings. Um, and also, I think one of the great things that we like one thing Katie and I talk a lot about is performative feminism and performative allyship in comics. Um, and we're both a little older and grew up and watching all the wrong movies like <laughs> Jess Franco stuff and like Sam Peckinpah and whatnot. And, you know, in a, in a, um, God, I'm completely blanking on the, the director's name. Um, Fellini's female protege who directed, uh, um, uh, seven beauties. Oh, seven, uh, Lena Vertmeyer. Yes. 
Lena Miller, um, like in, in her way, like she gets accused of being anti-feminist and stuff because she just wrote female characters that were like male characters and then just didn't make a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, pressure. Like I, I see a lot of y- the younger women in comics feeling like they need to have like strong female heroines and like good examples and like, you know, ev- like, like everyone has to be like good people. I mean, I don't know if I'm not explaining this very well. Um, but well, there's uh, a you know what? Let me jump in here because one thing I've noticed uh, is that you know I was a judge for a comics award last year and, and I read a lot of uh, the anthologies uh, that are kickstarted and a lot of them didn't really have stories to them. They had more like incidents and they did have very happy endings. And at first, you know, the editor in me was like, "What? Where's the story? Where's the conflict?" And then I was like, "You know, I see why these I see why these stories exist or these." It's a different kind of storytelling. I think a lot of younger, uh, not only readers, but content consumers are really interested in seeing seeing a very hopeful version of the world and seeing mm-hmm. characters who do sort of reflect the worldview that they believe in. And, and um, you know what, it's, I, I think a perfect example is Check, Please. <clears throat> yes, yes, which I love. Yes, which is great. You know, and it, it's, and like, it's, it's like comics Prozac like yeah. you can't be unhappy reading check please exactly and it's suspenseful and you you can't stop turning the page but you know I, I in it the actual situation seems like something that could easily be taken by other people and made into a horror story you know but yes, uh, or and, a thriller or yeah I know mm-hmm. and I and because I come from like you know I, I mean I got my real start in comics after you know, my restart after like smoke and Valentine doing grindhouse 48 page exploitation stories for, um, for my, my dark horse horror anthology. Um, and I loved like, and then, you know, I've done eight page work. I'm, you know, I've done dread like, you know, the, the 10 page magazine episodes. So like, I'm still going to bring a thriller sensibility and I've tried, you know, I, I, I tried to write a romance and it became a violent revenge thriller, but <laughs> who's looking, um, my novel, um, uh, so I'm bringing like a, a sort of a thriller suspense sensibility to that kind of fanficy check please kind of like long term pining kind of sto- incident story. Um, but the stories are also you know they're very diverse, but we're not trying to make a point by that. Uh-huh. If you know what I mean, like it's just like we have a bunch of like I ask my friends to do it. My friends are a diverse group of people of all. Uh, you know, um, who all come with different worldviews, and I just told them to write what they wanted to without any direction from me. Just make yourself happy, tell the story you want to tell, and they did. And for you know, for Sarah, that's violent murder, and for <laughs> other Sarah, Sarah Winifred Searle, that's a really sweet, um, you know, fantasy themed uh, love triangle story. You know, uh, for Vita, it's a it's a it's a brown queer poly love story. Um, you know, etc. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I, I think one of the relevances of, of romance is also letting everybody know that they can ha- be happy and letting everybody know that there's a place for them, no matter what their gender preference or their sexual preference is, um, or if they have, you know, or if they are ace and are not interested in, in a sexual relationship, that they can still find a loving relationship or a supportive, a romantic relationship. Um, and so I think, you know, 
I think the point of Twisted Romance, as much as anything, has a point, a wider point, other than entertaining people, is to give them a sense of of of, of happiness and hope and and acceptance um, and excitement. Like it, it, these are exciting stories. These are, you know, this is like I think you probably saw from my No Mercy work. I can do a twenty-eight page story that's solid and has 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 things happening and consequences and arcs and stuff. Sometimes I can even fit a B plot in there. <laughs> right. Well, it certainly sounds like uh, something to look forward to in our um, romance month of February. But Alex, I was just finishing up the the um, graphic novel announcements for 2018, and I saw a bunch of projects by you. I was actually shocked by some of them. And I know you have one from Gallery 13, right? And then one from... Uh, I couldn't even keep track of them. So what what else is on the docket for you coming out? In- oh, geez, like I can't like I can't keep track of it. Like <laughs> I don't even know what's coming out because also sometimes like the publisher just does things and you know publishers are in, are in contact with you in in uh, with release dates like some of them much more than others. Gallery thirteen are wonderful and are incredibly like supportive and um and and keep in regular touch. Um, also, we're still producing the book. Um, but I have Bad Girls with Victor Santos uh, coming out. That was like that's a perfect example of a script that was actually written for another artist, and the artist kind of kept saying he would start it and blew me off for about three years. And I was finally like, mate, I have to like not, I have to, we have to break up artistically because otherwise I'm not going to be friends with you um, anymore. Um, and then I and then I offered it to Victor, and Victor took it, and I rewrote it for Victor um, to his style. And it's a it's a Cuban uh, so it's called Bad Girls. It's about it's a little over two hundred pages. It is a Cuban mafia noir set on New Year's Eve, nineteen fifty eight, nineteen fifty nine, which um, is a very important day in Cuban history. It is the night that Batista fled and Cuba um, fell or rose, depending on your point of view, to Castro. I was told all about this evening on my trip to Cuba to Havana. As a matter of fact, the tour guides pointed out the hotel. Uh, where apparently Batista was holed up, and then he fled. Anyway, yes, a colorful story indeed. Yes, and it's about it's it's not about you know I mean the the, the story of the Cuban Revolution is not my story to tell. Um, I'm telling a story of uh, four women, uh, three expats, um, and, uh, and 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 a Cuban woman. Um, the Cuban uh, at a casino on the last night of like the great mob rule in. The great U.S. mafia rule mm-hmm. in Havana before mob rule, true mob rule, took over, um, and the and it's you know I've spent a lot of time as an ex, an American expatriate abroad, so I feel I can write expatriate life and the relationship of the expatriate to the local community very very clearly um, and very well. And it's you know it's it's it is a noir thriller. The girls end up with a bunch of money. And have to get out, and and for very for various reasons, all want to leave Cuba, um, and it's all of them trying to do that. And they are not friends by any means, but they're sort of thrown together, and you never know if any of them are going to, you know, betray the other ones. Um, and it all takes place over twelve hours. It's, it's essentially <laughs> from dusk till dawn. That like New Year's Eve night, December thirty first, nineteen fifty eight. And this comes out when. For San Diego. Ah, all right. Bad girls. Um, so, Bad and then, girls. And then there's another project you have coming out, though, in the first half of 2017. Or 2018. Pardon me. Dirt? What is it? What do I have? Is it, <laughs> is it the Lion Forge trade? What have I written? Jesus. Possibly. Um, I think it is. The, maybe it is Lion Forge. I know you did. Is this part of the Catalyst line for them? 
Yes, I did nine issues of Astonisher. Um, I'm no longer on the book. Um, uh, they rotate us out right. after the first couple arcs um, uh, to bring in new writers. Um, great fun. Had a great time doing it. it was given a lot of freedom. Um, that's I think the, the third issue is out today. Or what won't be today when the podcast goes up. The third issue was out recently. Mm-hmm. Please buy it. It's quite fun. Um, <laughs> like uh, Tarna is coming out from Heavy Metal very soon. Um, uh, they'll be announcing a release date shortly for the first issue. Um, I'm very excited about that because that was that was a really fun project. Um, I've got a book from Macmillan from Imprint, but that's not coming out until 2020. It's a YA book, um, a, a YA comic story about four girls who are uh, about three girls who are backing singers on a, on a big, like, famous singers tour. Wait, who's publishing um, that? Macmillan Imprint, not not for a second, but <laughs> right. but Erin Stein's Imprint, which is called Imprint. Right. Um, <laughs> and I've known Erin since she was a, she got her start as a Tokyo Pop editor, and then she went on to. I think Farrar Strauss, and then she's been really working her way up in, in YA publishing ever since. And she's 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 she like she's pretty much a big star now in terms of uh, running a really solid female oriented YA and middle grade line um, at at Macmillan. So fun times down in the Flatiron Building. Um, wow! And you also have a novel that you finished. So you know because you're novel, just not I'm busy enough. Finished Another novel. Well, I finished. I finished the trashy. I finished the mistress project before I finished the wife project because the wife project is this experimental novel about fame and fandom that's mostly epistolary and that nobody will read, but everyone will kind of talk about in a way. It's that novel. It's like it's it's the it's the um, what is it? House of Blue Leaves. It's that kind of thing. Um, it's probably very pretentious. I kind of don't care because it's me getting out all my feelings about existing in the creative arts and, and, and writing about identity and loss of identity and robots. There are robots in it. Um, <laughs> but even worse, it's literary sci-fi, like run away. Um, and then I wrote a trashy project on the side, which was a 14th century romance thriller, which is the one that was supposed to be just kind of a romance and then just turned out to be this violent thriller because I can't leave well enough alone. Um, it's like, oh, we could up the stakes here. Let's do that. Um <laughs> and I actually finished the trashy one first. Um, It's also incredibly historically accurate. I did a lot of work on historical research for what it was like to, to be alive in England in 1333, um, which was all really fun. The research is the best bit. Um, My agent has that. That's And it's 130,000. No, it's 135,000 words because I'm super fucking extra and don't leave, don't can't leave well enough alone. The average novel is like around 90,000. All right. That is definitely a sizable like knights on the warpath sort of story um yeah uh that's going out um i've actually got a, a like a, about 60,000 words finished of a book from the Katie story is actually about a character that i'd sort of like got ha- i've got half a book written on which was a lot of fun um this character Misha um so i've got a thriller written about him which i've got to finish which will probably turn into my new mistress project. Like I just always keep busy on something. Like I think that's one of the reasons I'm able to let all of the depredations of the comic industry just wash over me because I just finish things and then I publish them. So I'm not waiting on pitches for stuff. It's like, Hey, I I wrote this script. Here's the sample art from this artist. 
if you want it, like make me an offer. If not, like it's cool. Well, I'll just like kickstart it or I'll do something with it. Um, so, you know, I usually have a graphic novel script in my back pocket and my agent's like, really, you've done another one? I'm like, yeah. Wow. You make it sound so easy, but obviously just you are. Just do the thing. Like it's, 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 everyone overthinks it. Like just do, like just make comics. There are no gatekeepers. Like if you want to write Spider-Man, sure, there are gatekeepers. Um, but if you just want to tell a great story, there are so many outlets for it and you can make it a web comic. You can, you know, the, the God bless like the, the, the big trade pub bookstore publishers getting into graphic novels. Cause that's given me so much hope like that, that, you know, people like gallery 13 that are interested in really intelligent grown up genre work. Um, I know there's so much more stuff, you know, from insight, uh, Insight Editions, Insight Comics, they've come along in the past year. You know, obviously Lion Forge is ramping up tremendously, and Disclosure, Lion Forge is uh, owns the beat. Uh, I always have to put that in as a disclosure as we bring them up. But um, uh, and uh, you know, obviously for a second, it's been incredibly successful. As you say, other imprints at mainstream publishers are you know getting into graphic novels, and not as a oh, maybe this will work, but it's so weird. I don't know if it'll work, you know, with, oh, my God, how do we get in on this incredibly hot genre? So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it is it is a kind of a, a if not a golden age, at least a white gold age. <laughs> it really, no, I, I really think it is a golden age of comics. And I think that um, realizing, a lot of people don't realize how much of a world is out there outside monthly comics and like I have monthly comics publishers I love like you will like you'll have to like blow up image before you get me out of there like it's not going to happen like I'm just going to like Brandon, Brandon Graham once said like I'm just going to burrow myself in like a tick and hold on and I'm like that's how I feel about it too <laughs> um, you know and image have amazing contracts and they're really great at marketing and PR um, and they're uh, and they're very they're actually very very supportive of their creators um, and you know, there aren't a lot of other mainstream publishers I publish with, mostly because their contracts are really bad. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm old and I'm ugly and I like to own my shit. So, like, if they're going to put an implied option in the contract, they need to pay me for that option. And they don't usually do that. So I'm like, nah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are so many places to put out good work. And if you, if you finish the work, um, you're operating from an amazing position of strength because what – most people are in comics are worried about is people not finishing their shit because it happens all the time because anyone can do one issue of a comic, but it takes a special kind of crazy to do one issue every month. Right, right. Well, Alex, you, uh, I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your insanely busy and productive schedule uh, to chat with us just a little bit. And, um, you know, we could easily chat for hours more, but uh, as usual. So, but uh, I will, I will leave more to come as we like to say, but thank you so much for taking the time. That was wonderful. Oh. And we definitely need to have a bar conversation. <laughs> Wait, that's on, that, that's on the agenda. But in the meantime, in February, look for Twisted Romance, a weekly romance anthology. Uh, and as always, there will be more to 